we didn't time that quite right. I had to hurry way too much. <laughs> if you'll open your Bibles this morning with me to the book of Mark. Uh, this time, kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. By the way, happy 2020. Um, I'm excited about the new year as we look back on 2019. It's exciting to see all that God has done the past year, and it's encouraging to think about what he's going to do in the coming year. As we think about the year end, oftentimes we think about all the summaries, uh, the top ESPN, they had a top 40 events of the year, thinking about the news cycle and all the different summaries of wrapping up the new year. And, and most of us like summaries. Uh, we like to have big, complex ideas boiled down to us in very understandable ways. Uh, we appreciate the people who can take maybe very hard, complex subjects and be able to pick out the main things and to summarize it in a way that doesn't minimize the bigger picture, but is able to capture it all at once. In our passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus does that for us, uh, that Jesus Old Testament law for us. Uh, which at that time, at the time of Jesus, was there was um, oftentimes debates or discussions amongst the different rabbis, the different Jewish teachers, about what are the most important laws, what are the most important things that we need to do. Because as we open up our Bibles, we realize this is a big book, right? I mean, this is, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, and to <clears throat> work through this book, it's, it's, it takes some, takes some work. And so these rabbis would have discussions about how do we simplify this? How do we boil this down? There are like 613 laws that they had identified from the Bible. And how do we boil all those down in a way that makes sense? And one rabbi at the time, it's recorded historically, that one rabbi was approached by a man who said, listen, I will convert if you can explain the whole law to me while standing on one foot. All right, so you stand on one foot, there's 613 laws and how to try to put all that together while standing on the foot. And it's clear the guy's like, there's no way they could do that. And the rabbi was unable to do that and did not take him up in his charge. But in our passage this morning, we see someone come to Jesus. They come to Jesus and asking him questions about what is the greatest commandments. And this summarizes, the summary that Jesus gives us, demonstrates to us these two big ideas that I want us to walk away from today understanding. The first big point is this, that love is at the heart of God's commandments. Love is at the very heart of all the other commandments of God. A second truth that I want us to see this morning is that God's commandments are connected to God's kingdom. That God's commandments are connected to his kingdom. And so these commandments are significant. They reflect the heart of God, but they're also tied to the kingdom of God. Well, this morning we are in the new year and we're jumping back into our series in the book of Mark. We've been working through this book for, for some time. And just as a refresher to remind us what the big picture of Mark is all about, uh, this picture helps remind us that the book of Mark, so we have this M on the ark, so that represents the book of Mark, that Jesus in this book is represented as a servant. And so our picture, we have an anteater, and the anteater is being served an ant by a servant. And so in this book, Jesus is being presented as a servant. We are told in chapter 10 that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so that's why Jesus has come. That's the big theme of the book. And so if you'll follow along with me in Mark chapter 12, in Mark chapter 12, we're going to begin this morning um, on 
in verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible close to you. should be in the pew, and uh, this is on page 848 in your pew Bible. As we walk through this text, Jeff, if you could move us through this as I read this this morning. Verse 28 begins by saying this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he was answering them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that there is one, and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after this, no one dared ask him any more questions. Well, this passage comes in the context of a series of religious leaders coming to Jesus. A series of religious leaders coming to Jesus, trying to derail him, trying to uh, cast dispersions upon him, trying to demonstrate that his teachings are inaccurate. In chapter 11, verse 27, we read that the, a group of people came to him. It says in chapter 11, verse 27, And they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said, By what authority are you doing these things? So this first group, the chief priests, scribes, elders, they say, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And and the things that he's doing and the things that he's teaching, they challenge his authority. A second group of religious leaders we see in chapter 12, verse 13. It says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. The Pharisees would be the religious conservatives. The Herodians were people that are associated with Herod the Great. And they are coming together and they want to trap Jesus. And they want to trap Jesus and they ask him a question about taxes. Jesus answers it fine, and they're not effective. A third group in verse 18 of chapter 12 says, The Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they ask him a question. And so this third group come to Jesus, and again, they're asking him a question, and their questions are about the resurrection, because they don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe that it really is going to happen. And so they ask this question about this lady that's married, and her husband dies, she marries another, and these seven different people, whose spouse is she going to be in heaven? Jesus derails their question by saying, you've got it all wrong, because in heaven there's not marriage, but there is a resurrection. And so, as Jesus is just walking through, just knocking down all of his opponents, in verse 28, we read of a scribe. And the scribes of that day, uh, the scribes would be the teachers of the law. They would be the people who are the trained legal experts. Uh, they're often identified with the Pharisees. Uh, Nineteen times in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we hear the phrase, the Pharisees and the scribes. They're identified together. And it's because the scribes were like the legal experts among the Pharisees. And so these are the guys that read their Bibles. These are the guys that studied their Bibles. These are the guys that taught the Bible. And so this guy's sharp. And, and it says in verse 28 
that one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, that's Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is most important of all? Of these whole 613 verse commandments, which one's most important? Which one supersedes them all? Which applies to everyone everywhere? How would we summarize this and boil all of this down? Another way to ask it is, what is at the heart of the Bible? What do we, how would we summarize that? And Jesus responds to him in verse 29 and says, The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. As we see this this morning, that we are recognizing that, that as Jesus answered him, Jesus is teaching that love is at the heart of God's commandments. Love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Love others as we love ourselves. At the very core of this is love. And we are commanded to love God. That we are commanded to love the one true God. As we look at what Jesus says here, he says the most important, and then he's quoting an Old Testament verse. So Jesus isn't just coming up with his own ideas. He is quoting what the Old Testament says. He's quoting an Old Testament law. So let's look at that together. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, if it's all the way back in the Old Testament. The first five books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and in Deuteronomy. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where Jesus is quoting from. As you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if some of you get there, right before chapter 6 is chapter 5. And chapter 5, if you have a heading over chapter 5, what does it say? The Ten Commandments, right? In chapter 5, we're given these Ten Commandments. And right after chapter 5 and Ten Commandments comes chapter 6, and we get this quote that Jesus is making. And it begins in verse 4. In verse 4, it says... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. That Jesus quotes that passage. The same passage that, that, that this passage was given to the Israelites as they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land. And in this passage, that Jesus turning to this Old Testament book would have got the attention of the scribe. The scribe would have thought, it's a good place to go. The Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy actually means second law. That God has given the Ten Commandments for the second time. He gave them earlier in Exodus chapter 20. Forty years later, he's given them to the Israelites again in chapter 5. And so he's hearing, okay, this guy who's an expert at the law, Jesus is answering him with an Old Testament passage. Gives Jesus some credibility. Thinking, okay, well this passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's called the Shema of Israel. It's the Shema of Israel. Those who are faithful Jewish people, they quote this in the morning and in the evening. It's twice a day. It's very, very familiar. It, in many ways, it would be like the Lord's Prayer to us. right? The Lord's Prayer to us is pretty familiar, right? Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed... We know it, right? It's just part of who we are. We just know it really, really well. For the Jewish people, this passage... Is that to them? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And as we look at this closely, look what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. And what's the next word? There's a modifier to, the God, to God. The Lord, our God. Which is an interesting statement. It doesn't just say the Lord God. It says the Lord, our God. And he's identifying this Lord God as a, as a relational God. That God desires to have a relationship with us. He is a promise-making God. He's a promise-keeping God. He is a God who's personal. He's not just this force that's out there. He is somebody that wants to know us. Somebody that we can know. In the passage, too, as you look there in Deuteronomy, as it says, the Lord our God, notice the typeface of the word Lord. What do you notice about it? It's all capital letters. Right? And you're thinking, well, that's not how other words are written. You have capital letters just like we have. Why all capital letters? When we, in the Old Testament, when we read and we see the all capital letters for Lord, that is telling us this is the name of God. Where it just says Lord, but it's not all capital, it just means like master, the one who has authority, the one who's in charge. But when it says Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the name of God. The name of God that he revealed to the Israelites at Mount Sinai at the burning bush when he said, I am. I am God. The self-existent, eternal, independent, autonomous God, that's me. And, the, and, and we would hear that his name Yahweh. Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the same Hebrew letters, just pronounced differently. And he's saying, the Lord, Yahweh, our God, he says, again, then, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. And he emphasizes here not only the relational idea of God, that he's our God, but he's also the unitary, the singular nature of God, that he is one, that he is the only true and living God, and he is a God who is one. Now, as we would continue to read through our Bibles, we would read also that there's this one God, but we read that the Father's God, the Son's God, and the Holy Spirit's God. That would be what we call the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one God who exists as three distinct but not separate persons. So, who is God? He is a relational God. He is a unitary God. He is one. And in this, he tells us that in this passage, in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And if you look carefully, comparing this to what Jesus says, Jesus added a fourth thing. Because here it says heart, soul, and might. Jesus says heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then later when the scribe refer, refers to these things, he just refers to three. He says the heart, understanding, and strength. And we could maybe try to get in the weeds and think, okay, what's the distinction between heart and mind and soul and strength? And think, are there like four different parts of us? Are there three parts of us? What, what is he trying to communicate by using these different words? And he's not trying to teach us the nature of man, but he's trying to teach us the nature of our love. That our love is telling us by saying with our heart, soul, mind, strength, our understanding, our might, all of those that we're called to, God, to love God with everything that we are. Every fiber of our being is to love God. That we don't just love God with our mind and think, oh, I know these truths about God, and because I know these truths about God, I'm fine, and I'm going to live however I want to. We can't say, well, I'm going to love God with, and do these things that please God, but I'm going to do these things over here because I, please, I want to please me. 
It's not the idea at all. The idea is that we love God with every part of us, every fiber of our being, that we love God with every part of us and from every part of us. We're to love him with everything that we are. So back to our passage in Mark chapter 12. Jesus tells them this. He, he quotes this passage. He's talking about how we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He then goes on in verse 31 and says the second is this, which is interesting because how many commandments is the scribe asking for? What, he's asked for one. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't limit it to one. He gives him two. He says the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so when he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus again quotes an Old Testament passage. He quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And the verse says this. We don't need to look it up. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But, and here's a key, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. He is the Lord. And what we're recognizing in this is that we are commanded not simply to love God, but we are to, called to love God with every part of us, but we're also called to love others. That we are to called to love others, and how do we love them? We love them as we love ourselves. And we think, well, what's that mean? Well, it's not hard for us. How do you love yourself? Well, I'm not sure how I love myself. Well, Whenever there's, you go to the store and there are a bunch of people getting ready to check out, which line do you look for? The shortest. Even if you see somebody else come, especially if you see somebody coming and they're looking for the shortest line too and they, their, whole, their whole cart is full of stuff, what do you start doing? You start driving a little faster, right? Why? Because where do you want to be? You want to be first. You want to be ahead of them. Right, we see that at school, kids at school, kids line up. Where do they all race to? They're always, hey, listen, you go ahead of me, you go be in front, blah, blah. Nope, everybody wants to be first. When, how do we love ourselves whenever we're driving? Maybe this morning you're driving to church and you got behind somebody that's driving really, really slowly. What do you think? I'm delighted that they're out able to enjoy this Sunday drive. And I, I, I am delighted that they are being safe and cautious. I'm thankful for them. Right? Yeah, it's not what we think, is it? Or they, we're driving at the right speed and somebody like whips around us like real fast and then they get the stoplight right in front of us. And you're like, that helped a lot. And what are we thinking about them? Man, they must really need to be in a hurry to get somewhere. I need to slow down and give them plenty of room. Right? What do we have? We have a name for them. Right? You, you have a name for them, right? And, and we know why, why does that bug us so much? Because we love us. I'm the one who should have priority when I drive. I'm the one that should have priority in who gets to be first. We think about how we like to be loved. How many of you feel like we deserve, I deserve to be treated with kindness and respect? And we think, of course, I get, that's how I deserve to be treated. You go to a restaurant and the waitress or the waiter, they treat you horribly. How dare they treat me like that? I'm a paying customer. I'm like the king here. You know, I've come and they wait on me and I'll tip them a little bit, but I expect everything to be just fine. If I'm not treated that way, what happens? I get out of joint. Why? Because I deserve to be treated with respect and kindness. 
Which means, if that's how we love ourselves, how should we love others? That we demonstrate respect and kindness to others. We think that we should be given preference over others. When somebody thinks of, I think about, was it Sleeping Beauty? Mirror, mirror on the wall, right? You know, who's the fairest of all? Who do we think the mirror should say? Right? It should say me, of course. Right? Because I am the most wonderful thing there is. And yet, God's telling us we need to love others as we love ourselves, and so we give preference to others. We think that people should listen to our opinions. We have an idea about what we should do, and and so what do we think? Others ought to listen to me. Because I have an opinion, and my opinion matters. We love ourselves like that. How should we love others? Listening to their opinions. Hearing what they have to say. You see, this idea of loving others as we love ourselves is not complicated because we love ourselves so easily in so many ways. What gets hard is getting ourselves out of the way and recognizing, oh, that's how I want to be loved. And so if I'm going to, that's how I want to be loved, I should love others that way. The Apostle Paul picks this up in, he, in the book of Philippians chapter 2 when he says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. My motive, I want to get what I can get, is conceited. I deserve this. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That can be hard, can it? Counting others more significant than yourself. Because who do we think is most significant? You see, we don't like to admit that, do we? That, that, I mean, it's easy for us to say that, well, other people, I need to give preference to them. I need to treat them as more significant than me. But that's really hard to do because we think we're the most significant person there is. He goes on, but in humility, count others more significant of, uh, than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but the interests of others. How do we love others? Well, we love them as we love ourselves. I mean, this gets, I mean, it gets really, really practical. Even driving to church. We talked about driving to church. What about parking spots? Okay. You, you, you drive in up and down the parking lot. I mean, it's been the shopping season, and you're driving trying to find a good parking spot, right? And you're driving in the, the park, and you see somebody's rear, their, their backup lights come on. And what do you do? You stop, you back up, and you wait. They seem to take forever, and they finally get backed out. And then you see somebody coming down the lane, all right? And what are they thinking? I'm going to get that parking spot. They don't even think about you. And that person, they pulls out because the way they pulled out, you're here, you have to wait. They pull out, and they pull forward. You can't pull in yet. The other guy pulls in that spot. And we think, praise the Lord. <laughs> this is an opportunity for me to love others as I want to be loved. That's not how we think. See, the fact, the reason we're laughing is because it's so true of us. We love ourselves. And, and I'm, I just, while I'm on parking spots, guess which parking spots even fill up first at church? The best ones. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? By the way, we do have a parking lot out back, and you'd walk a few more steps, gives others an opportunity, but we recognize how do we love others the way that we want to be loved? Well, as we look at this, as Jesus has said these two commandments, back to our text in verse 32, the scribe said to him, 
you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all of burnt offerings and sacrifices. This scribe gets it. What Jesus has just taught is exactly what this scribe, he's, he's read all the scriptures, he understands these, and he hears this summary of Jesus, and he's like, that's it. He's captured it. And he understands that Jesus has caught it. And even to the point, he says that loving God and loving others, because love is at the heart of the commandments, he says that these love is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. All these other commandments, this one is the pinnacle. Even more important than the offerings and sacrifices that Israel was commanded to do. They were told there are certain offerings, certain sacrifices, that if they were going to be obedient to God and be demonstrated they're God's people, they would do these, they would fulfill these commandments. And that Jesus has just said that loving God and loving others is over all of that. It's even more important. Now, what that, mean, what that doesn't mean is that, well, what matters now is love. Every other commandment, none of those matter. Because we recognize that we, there are commandments of God that we can keep without loving God or loving others. Right? In the Old Testament, they could offer burnt sacrifices without any love. They just go to the fire, take their sheep, do it, all the kind of stuff. They just do it because they're supposed to do it. Sometimes we come to church just because we're supposed to do it. I got up on Sunday morning. It's what I do. I just do it because I know I'm supposed to. I know I should be gathering with the body of Christ. But the motive behind that, God wants to be love. Because while we can keep commandments without love, we can't love without keeping commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so obedience to God's law is a high requirement. And so love doesn't mean that nothing else matters. No, love means that now everything matters in a whole new way. That all of my obedience is now not driven so that God will do something for me. My obedience is driven because of what God has already done for me. It said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. God had made Israel his covenant people. They were already his people called to obey him. Obedience wasn't going to make them God's people. They were God's people by grace. And we see that unfold in the New Testament. Well, as the scribe has answered that, and Jesus, he tells Jesus, hey, that's a good answer. Jesus, in verse 34, Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. Jesus compliments this guy. You have some understanding. But in saying you're not far from the kingdom of God is indicating you're not there yet. That you're not there yet. And the reason for that is because because God's commandments are connected to his kingdom that knowing truth, knowing that loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and knowing that I love my neighbors, myself, knowing those truths get me close to the kingdom of God. And listen, the commandments get us close to the kingdom of God because they reveal how far away we are. 
Let me say that again. The commandments of God demonstrate that we're not far from the kingdom of God because they demonstrate how far we are. What do I mean by that? As we begin to understand the commandments, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're able to say, that's easy. That's an easy commandment. Until I start to apply it. Love God with everything. I mean, I just woke up and somebody's wanting to have a conversation with me. I don't feel like loving right now. I don't feel like loving them or loving God right now. All the things we were laughing about a few minutes ago are demonstrations where we fall short of loving God and loving others. As we understand this commandment to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I don't walk away saying, sweet, I know that and I'm in good shape. What it does is, good, I know that, Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Because I haven't loved God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I continue, I don't love my neighbor as myself. I'm in, I'm in significant trouble. The reality that these commandments, that these commandments call us to love God and others, as we read in the scriptures, our hearts are revealed. We are told that there's no one who seeks God. We are told in the book of Isaiah that all we like sheep have gone astray, that we've all gone astray and everyone seeks his own way. God, I know I'm supposed to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know I'm supposed to love others as myself. But you know what? I'm pretty special. I'm just going to love me. One of the things in Dan's testimony that when Dan repented and trusted Christ, one of the statements he said to me right afterwards is, Steve, I realized I've loved all the wrong things. And I thought, whoa. He gets it. Because that's what salvation is. Salvation is turning from loving all the wrong things, myself and all this, to loving the one true and living God. And we recognize that the only way that we can love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength is something has to change in us. Something has to be radically reformed because I love me and something has to be changed. And what has to change is that knowing truth, listen, knowing truth gets you close to the kingdom of God but there's something that has to get us to the kingdom of God. And what gets us entrance into the kingdom of God is loving Jesus. That we love Jesus. You say, well, why would I love Jesus? Because as we understand what Jesus has come to do, he's come to seek and save the lost. That Jesus is the eternal Son of God who took on flesh, and he took on flesh to come and to live a sinless life. And then he surrendered his life to die on the cross And then he rose from the dead three days later. Why did he die on the cross? To take our sins. In many ways, our spiritual report card of loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving others as myself, I've got a big fat F. I have failed at that. And I'm in trouble. What did Jesus do? He always kept it. His A+. On doing that. And what did he do? At the end of life, Jesus, he, he said, I'm going to lay aside my A plus and I'm going to take their F. And he takes our disobedience, our rebellion, our sin upon himself. And God the Father treats Jesus the way we deserve to be treated. Jesus is put to death. 
But Jesus doesn't stay dead. Three days later, he raises from the dead. And he raises from the dead, and that victory over sin and death, he now offers help and hope to all of those who will repent and believe the gospel. As we turn and we realize this F is what I've earned, and I deserve God's punishment and wrath, but there's an A that Jesus earned that he wants to give to me. And he gives that to me when I turn from my sin and say, God, I no longer want to be about loving me but about loving you. And the reason I do that is because I love Jesus because he died and he rose again and I trust him. He gives me this A-plus report card and then God the Father treats me the way Jesus deserved to be treated. That's the good news. And that is why we can love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And he kept the commandments for us. And now because we love him for what he does, we want to strive to please him. We want to live for him rather than living for ourselves. Why is that? It's because his love is what transforms our love. His love for us transforms our love for him. And so we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And so as we read this passage and see the closeness of the kingdom of God comes by knowing truth, that interest comes by loving Jesus. The question for us today is, do I love Jesus? Do I love, not, do I love Jesus along with me and a bunch of other stuff? No, no, does he have supreme authority in my life? Is he the king Is he the one that I'm submitting my life to, or am I the one that's still the king? And as I surrender that to him, I begin to love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He changes me. He makes my world bigger by helping me to love others. That's the good news. And the summary of the law, and so we think of these 613 commandments. How do you summarize them? We can stand on one foot and say it. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, the whole law, all that God requires of us. And we realize we can't do it, so Jesus has done it for us. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to let these truths sink into you and to examine what is it that I'm truly loving. And if I'm not loving Jesus first and most, something's wrong. And I need to repent and turn and trust him. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would ask you this morning, are you growing in your love for God and others? And to be asking the question, 2019, 20, we're at the beginning of a brand new year, how can you grow in this coming year in your love for God? How can you grow in this coming year in your love for others? In some very practical, tangible ways. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the grace that you give to us in Jesus. Lord, as we read these commandments, we know that we cannot keep them on our own. The Lord, a love self competes with for you and a love for others. But God, we thank you that you have sought to conquer our self-love by giving us a greater love, the love of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would stir our hearts to examine ourselves, surrender our lives to you, that we would commit our lives to loving you, And the Lord, that what would drive us forward in 2020 is the love for you because of all that you have done for us in Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen.